This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. It's World Wide Wave time. Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt and we are live from the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation in the Victorian Pride Centre. And tonight, Andrew is sticking with us after the news. Good evening, Andrew. Oh, good evening. It's great to be back in this chair after a long break away. Uh, July is Pride Month in many parts of the world. It's a chance to be visible, wave the rainbow flag and party. Well not everyone. The expression of queer pride differs all over the world and it is certainly not always a party. International LGBT advocacy organisation Outright International have released their third annual report on pride around the globe, which highlights the challenges across the world. Tonight we'll get a world world view of pride from Noelle Campbell from Equality for All Foundation in Jamaica, Umut Roger Yildrum, a lawyer and LGBT activist from Turkey, and Nadine Smith, the Executive Director of Equality Florida in the USA. Here's a taste of what's coming up tonight. So that's one of the challenges that you'll find we will face or have faced as it relates to trying to have pride be successful. But again, how do we measure success? So having pride in the first place is a major success. How we want it to grow over the number of years will continue to be a success. If we had one event in 2015 and we're having 12 events now, we consider that a major success. What's your favourite Pride event? Perhaps it's a local one. Perhaps you've uh, walked down the street here in St Kilda and uh, had a wow of a time, or maybe you've been to some exotic part of the world and seen a, a different kind of Pride, or you've just had a big party. Maybe Montreal or... Maybe you went to up to Sydney World Pride. The international advocacy group Outright International have released their annual Pride Around the World report. This year it's appropriately titled We Remain Resilient. The report looks at all 193 United Nations member states, as well as three other countries, Kosovo, the occupied Palestinian territories and Taiwan. Of those countries, it found that in 105 countries, public pride events were held last year. In 63 of these countries, events were held in more than one city. Monaco and Azerbaijan held their first pride celebrations this past year. But in 91 other countries, as far as outright could ascertain, no public pride events took place in 2022. A number of countries shared their stories of the highs and the lows of staging Pride events. We start with Noelle Campbell from the Equality for All Foundation in Jamaica. 
So we know globally June is Pride Month. So yesterday I heard a town crier, you know, the car that drives around with the loudspeaker on it. The U.S. Embassy in Kingston has hoisted the Pride flag in celebration for June. And the town crier was announcing their opposition to this movement by the U.S. Embassy. And I say that just to bring up one of the challenges that we face in the community itself as it relates to how LGBT community can and try to celebrate Pride in Jamaica. So specifically now, Pride in Jamaica. Jamaica had our first Pride celebration in 2015. Uh, we celebrate and observe Pride in the first week in August, which is August 1 to 7. That week was purposely chosen because that's also when we celebrate two national holidays, Emancipation and Independence. So we colloquially call it Emancipence Week. This was special because it highlighted the importance of what the country had to overcome to get to both emancipation and independence and how it relates to the LGBT community trying to aspire to do the same. Um, the first celebration started with like a flash mob, which was extremely scary for most people when you think about putting themselves in a position to be in the public eye. And I think it was so uplifting and heartwarming. Even when you look at some of the videos from that event, I think Elliot Page actually was here at that time as a part of the celebration. Um, so if you if you search, uh, you'll probably find that that bit of information. And so that also, you know, it, it put so much importance on where we were at the time when JFLAG was founded in 1998. And it took, what, 17 years for us to be able to have our first Friday celebration. So it's a testament to the amount of work that goes into getting to a point where we can do something in the public eye to celebrate the LGBT community. A Tale of Two Cities is what Ahoto titled it. So we also, pride, first Pride was held in Kingston, Jamaica, which is our capital. We basically have a second city, which is some people call it the second capital, which is Montego Bay. So there's a group out there called Pertigo Bay as well. Um, but Montego Bay, Montego Bay Pride was held for four consecutive years or three. Uh, between 2015 and 2018. It's not been held since 2019, as the mayor at the time decided to block the provisions that would allow safeguarding of the community to have their peaceful demonstration. As Maria mentioned earlier, it's basically a protest in celebration, but a peaceful one at, at its finest. So as a result of that, like vendors weren't allowed to give offer their spaces and permits to hold events. So that's one of the challenges that you'll find um, we will face or have faced as it relates to trying to have pride be successful. But again, how do we measure success? So having pride in the first place is a major success. How we want it to grow over the number of years will continue to be a success. If we had one event in 2015 and we're having 12 events now, we consider that a major success. We will always face challenges, as I mentioned, with the town cryo community, the general population at large, and the fact that we still have laws in our British colonial era, laws that criminalize same-sex sexual activity. So just to throw that in there a little bit as to one of our major challenges as it relates to just existing in our spaces in general, and then why it's important for us to curate and create spaces for the LGBT community, i.e. Pride celebrations. Um, it's a little bit challenging 
when you think about how our pride events look. So we won't be, we won't have a march anymore because obviously we do still face challenges in terms of safety and security. But what we try to do is we have smaller events during that week. So we'll have like a beach party, um, a night event, a games night, a movie night. So we have multiple events as ways to engage the community and not truly, truly not to put them at risk because we have to weigh the pros and the cons as it relates to pride. And I think I've read multiple situations where they had their first event and then, you know, due to backlash from the community, it was a little bit more challenging and therefore you don't want to put people at risk, especially an already marginalized and vulnerable community. Um, but as it relates to plans for our future, uh, we are in year three of a five-year decentralization plan as it relates to equality for all and pride. This means we're increasing community engagement. And by doing so, we have something called Pride Share, which is one of the ways that we get community members to almost apply to host events during Pride. And then what we would do is we would offer support, be it financially, technical support. Financially, always depends on funding. Um, but we would offer technical support to spread pride out of Kingston. So right now we have, uh, we, ha we had an event a couple of months ago in Montego Bay to bridge the gap between Kingston and the rural areas, because it's also important for us to not overlook the fact that we have members of the community who do not live in Kingston. And we also would like to cater to their needs um, and incorporate them in pride as best as we can. Uh, in the bigger picture, though, resistance to pride. We have our biggest aggressor, which is called Love March Movement. They probably will fight me on calling their name, but it's okay. We have to, I have to say it with my chest. Um, they are remarkably anti-LGBT. Remarkably so. They spend a lot of time coming after us. And as a result of that, how that impacts the government and other officials is that when they speak out, it's not in opposition to what we're doing. It's to almost ensure this misalignment. So I think we might be at a point where had it not been for very loud resistance, there might be almost like a silent tolerance in the government. So it's as if we're not going to overtly support you, but we're also not going to try and bring it down. Um, our biggest resistance comes from movements, uh, religious entities, and when those two Im impact the government officials and their voices. Noel Campbell from Equality for All Foundation in Jama Jamaica with us on Joy 94.9. And coming up, we hear firsthand the changing landscape of pride in Turkey. This is World Wide Wave. Our diverse communities have one home, Joy. I'm Stefan from Taiwan. You're listening to Worldwide Wave. Your favourite Pride events. What have you been to around the world? Andrew, anything that uh, stands out for you? Well, I haven't been to many around the world. I've only been within Australia. The Melbourne um, Pride March, of course, in St Kilda is fantastic. Yep. And uh, the Gay Games in Sydney in 2022, dating myself there. Um, and, of course, a few Mardi Gras in the mm, 90s. And Sydney does a party. Well, they did. Yeah. Sydney did a great job on World Pride this year. Got a tip 
my hat to them there. Um, I've uh, I've also um, been to Cambodia when they use tuk-tuks as a part of their, you know, you're trying to ride oh. around in tuk-tuks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amsterdam, what a oh, great event crazy. that is where yeah. they run it through the canals and everybody lines the side of the canals. Fantastic pride Sounds event. amazing. LGBTIQ people have faced serious threats to their security and human rights simply by attempting to be visible with pride. In some countries, pride is not given the security to operate. In others, there are rules and bans that make events nearly impossible. Yet, pride events continue, big and small, loud and hidden. Global LGBTIQ advocacy group Outright International have shown their annual, have released their annual Pride Around the World report with the detailing the resilience of the rainbow community. Turkey is a classic example. Once staging a large, vibrant pride march, the LGBTIQ community is now openly persecuted by its government. Umit Roger Yildrim is a lawyer and activist in Turkey, and here he tells their story. In uh, our first pride week in Turkey, actually started around 1993 as a week, but we haven't had the march until 2003. Uh, in 2003, we had the first march, the first some pride march with only actually 20 people. There were just 20 people. They just walked basically around like maybe a 500 meter and that was all. And they, they were really proud of that. So uh, from 2003 to the 2014, actually, we were able to march with tens of thousands of participants in, in an exciting way. It's in one of the most um, touristic uh, street in Istanbul, which is called Istiklal Street. Maybe you may heard if you have ever been in Istanbul or in Turkey. But after the 2015, things uh, started to have shifted and not in a good way. Um, in 2015, the, the first Istanbul Pride March actually have been banned. Um, so from that point, and since in it's entering in its eighth year, uh, the bans uh, we are seeing are are everywhere in 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 every in every city in Turkey. If you are trying to do a Pride March or a Pride Week, a, a public Pride Week or a public Pride March, you will eventually will will face uh, bans. Now uh, we know we know that, and the the bans are always uh, justified on on the same reasons. The same, actually, I, I would say, same global reasons. Uh, the reasons that are we are we would be against the public moral. We will be endangered uh, the community, etc. We always seeing the same uh, many reasons. But on the legal side, since I'm a lawyer and I'm trying to deal with these cases, both in criminal and administrative processes, we have tried to go uh, to the courts for uplifting the decisions. And we have won in so many cases, but still the spanning processes continue. And and like for, we would say at least for eight years, the LGBTI community in, in from Turkey actually cannot exercise their right to freedom of expression and peaceful assembly and demonstration, even though we have these rights on our uh, constitution and actually Turkey is a part of the European Convention on Human Rights. So, but we, the LGBTI people cannot um, exercise their rights. What kind of bans that uh, we've seen? Maybe I can give you some insights because some of them are really ridiculous. Uh, 2019 queer sport events were banned 
in, in Istanbul in Kadıköy. In 2021, a pride picnic, uh, which, which this park is still a public park and uh, everyone can uh, go there and uh, do their uh, picnic, but, but the LGBT people specifically bands to even uh, gather around at the park. They are now even trying to ban the film screenings. Last week, I think it was or two weeks before in Istanbul, we had this, uh, we had the screening of the Pride movie from uh, 2014. Uh, and, and a foundation tried to do a screening, especially in, in Pride, but uh, the governor actually decided to ban the, the, uh, the film screen. And I think at least 10 people got arrested for just trying to watch a movie about pride uh, i mean in 2022 you are going to see from the report also in in all all around turkey at least 10 different pride weeks were banned from the, from the several uh, governors and for maybe a period of period of 45 days i would say at least 530 people were detained from several occasions most of them were from the istanbul pride march uh, last year also we have seen for the first time in Turkey's uh, long LGBTI history that um, a meeting, an anti-LGBTI hate meeting, which is called Big Family Meeting, actually, it was seen in more than 15 cities. I think it's really coincides with the fact that the rising anti-gender movement in the whole global affects Turkey also, because these, these movements are really similar to each other. And now we have one of uh, those movements, and they are not many as they think, but they have a much more effect on median government. So they have uh, their own instrument, and they are trying to do the criminalize the everything that they, they they can do to ban the Pride March or etc. But what is happening in 2023? Uh, nothing has changed since the last year, but we had the elections. Uh, we had the presidential and uh, parliamentary elections uh, back in May. And this atmosphere actually uh, that Turkey entered into really uh, showed that the, the now elected president Erdogan tried to use the LGBTIs as the main enemy during uh, his campaign. And uh, now uh, we as the LGBT associations actually uh, facing facing uh, or we are waiting closure uh, of our LGBT association because we know that it it was one of the promises uh, from the President Erdogan also. From Turkey, uh, that's activist and lawyer Umit Rodria Yildrim with us on Joy 94.9 as a part of the Outright International Report on Pride Around the World. He mentioned there, just coming in the end, that uh, they've just come from an election in Turkey. Um, the very right-wing president won again, President Erdogan. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And part of his, a big part of his election campaign was anti-LGBT rhetoric. Which is so sad and so paradoxical. I spent um, three months in Turkey in the late 1980s and I can tell you that there's a huge proportion of Turkish men who... Uh, bisexual, to say the very least. Uh, I just don't understand it. I mean, they had such a thriving pride movement. Yeah, but bisexual, but hidden, perhaps. But yes, the, the pride movement, uh, as you said, there, it, like it got up to ten thousand people as part of their their pride events. It was really quite vibrant, and it was really just almost smacked down by um, the current president. So, 
Terrible. Certainly another five years of that to come for oh, the rainbow long, community in Turkey. Yeah. Mm. Coming up on Join Only 4.9, the USA is moving from a bastion of free speech to a bastion of hate speech. This is Worldwide Wave. Joy, out, loud, proud. It's Roman Schlesinger from the Rainbow Pride Bratislava in Slovakia for Worldwide Wave. You're on the show that takes you around the globe one queer story at a time. It's Worldwide Wave. And a special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcast automatically either at joy.org.au forward slash worldwide wave or go to iTunes or your favourite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. If ever there is an example of a country where rights won can turn into rights lost, it is the good old US of A. LGBT rights advanced over the past decades with changes to health access, military service and marriage equality. But America's LGBTI community is now under siege. You've probably heard of some of the attacks and the massive number of anti-LGBT laws being created in parts of the USA, but is it all just part of a cycle? Nadine Smith, executive Executive Director of Equality Florida spoke as part of a forum on Pride around the world by global advocacy group Outright International. I'm reminded, uh, I'll give away my age, I was in college in the mid-80s and I was invited to a conference in uh, England and it was from that conference would form uh, what was then known as the International Gay and Lesbian Youth Organization. And it was a very, it was a, an awakening for me as someone who'd grown up in the panhandle of Florida in a pretty small town to see an international gathering of people willing to stand up to their government and push back. And I saw some countries where not only was the government supportive, but was actually funding the efforts. And I saw other countries where people had to disguise the purpose of their trip uh, to England. Um, to, as a student conference, um, so that they would legally be able to travel. And, and so I met people from around the world and came to understand that what we were experiencing in the United States and what was happening all over the world, they were connected. They were connected by a very toxic ideology that is still very much alive. And that, uh, what in listening to the, the previous panelists, it just reminds me that this is sort of a, it is a wheel that keeps turning. By that, I mean, we keep experiencing every few decades, these moral panics, this demonization, this vilification that leads to, you know, stochastic violence. It encourages hate crimes against us. Uh, it, it, uh, you know, produces politicians who try to cultivate hate toward us as part of their political stance. And, and the reason I think of it as a wheel is, you know, I look at what American evangelicals are doing in other countries and what they export to other countries. And they're the same ones uh, using those same tactics here in the United States. And when you talk about, you know, what leadership in Turkey is doing, um, our governor in Florida is using Putin and Erdogan as as guidebooks for the policies. You know, you you can see a one to one correspondence between the legislation they have sought in this wave of legislation all across the country, 
where Florida is very much the front line. It's, it is, uh, banning, uh, trans kids from playing sports, which quickly became banning trans kids from accessing gender affirming care and criminalizing their parents and doctors if they provide it, which quickly became forcibly detransitioning adult transgender folks through paperwork, but, you know, by, by creating too many barriers for people to get access, uh, to medicine. It has become a purge of any LGBTQ content in public schools. First, they said, oh, it's just K through three. Uh, and they introduced very vague language so that school districts would fear draconian punishments and go well beyond the letter of the law, which was vague and hard to interpret to the, to the hateful spirit of the law. And so they, there's a group called uh, Moms for Liberty, which is really this astroturf right wing group that's just been labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And their whole purpose is to go through, drive out any school officials that actually care about protecting all students and respecting all families and creating an environment where all young people can learn. And instead, they have taken down anti-bullying resources that include LGBTQ uh, young people. They've eliminated Florida's participation in the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, um, which a lot of different foundations and nonprofits use to track whether the programs that they are uh, initiating are actually having a positive effect for young people, reducing homelessness and other things. And they have gone in, you know, I think of the majority of superintendents have been ousted or resigned in the midst of this purge. Uh, they have gone in and completely, you know, just taken out uh, school presidents and and stocked their boards with right-wing anti-LGBT ideologues. And so while Florida is not the only place that these things are happening, Florida is the place where all of them are happening. And they have really targeted, uh, while, while the impact impacts the entire LGBTQ community, they have targeted people's uh, lack of familiarity uh, with the trans community, their lack of familiarity with, you know, just everyday um, people. It is a very toxic but very coordinated attack that we are experiencing. And America, because we have both Donald Trump and a governor who wants to usurp Donald Trump for the for the presidency, we have sort of a perfect storm for this level of hatred. And there's another facet of this, and I don't know how this plays out on the international scene, but, um, you know, the I don't know if people have read Stephen King's It, the book It, where the, every few decades this evil clown sort of shows up in the sewer and and his presence just creates division and, and cruelty. And uh, in Florida, you know, uh, when I was born, there was something called the Johns Committee that was still in effect that was purging, quote, homosexuals, um, anyone they didn't agree with politically and civil rights advocates out of the, our school system. And then when I was in elementary school, there was a woman named Anita Bryant who started this uh, crusade for our children. And she took those, those same messages that basically call LGBTQ people groomers, a threat to children, it, not, not, not for anything we do, just our existence. But when they began to purge books in the schools, uh, they, they got rid of a book called Entango Makes Three, which is about the true story of two male penguins who are raising a penguin chick, an abandoned egg. 
and they labeled it pornographic it be, simply because they were two male penguins. There's so much projection on our community that is intended to create um, not only shifts in law, but but in the culture so that violence against us can do what even government laws won't. So it, it really means a lot to me to hear exactly what is happening and, and read this report and see that resilience and be reminded that we are we are part of that and that we have a role both in stopping the exportation through American evangelicals to other countries, this level of hatred. And we also recognize that many of these same policies that you all are fighting on the global stage are being reintroduced in the United States by politicians who are who are part of that cycle. That's Nadine Smith, Executive Director of Equality Florida, with us on Joy 94.9, speaking there as a part of Outright International's um, release of their latest report on pride around the world. I found that interesting, the whole cycle thing, where, you know, every, I don't know, I was trying to work out um, from what um, she was saying, uh, what Nadine was saying, how long the cycle of anti-LGBT thing comes around. Is it 20, 30 years, the same things come up? It might even be sooner than that, actually. She's more optimistic than me. I don't... I don't see that it looks like a cycle this time. It's just so all-encompassing and everything that she was saying made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It's, it sounds like Nazi Germany purging books and it, next they'll be burning books. It is really retrograde. And it's not every state, It's but there's certainly a great, great quantum of states doing it. Yeah, a lot I, of I was them. thinking too about, so after marriage equality was successful here in Australia, there has been a pushback. So it seems when there's a... You know, a significant gain, there's a significant pushback as well in mm. terms of trying to, I don't know, that's, regress rights. Yeah, that's true. Fortunately, we're not as puritanical as the US. True, but the, the US exports the the anti-gay playbook, if you like, you know, they've, the, the evangelical church is going to Africa to um, teach them how to, you know, whip up a storm over uh, LGBT issues, and that seems to be, you know, going all over the world. Yeah, it certainly worked in Africa, didn't it? Yeah. The way yeah. they're going. Uh, there are some good news stories in the report, though, in terms of pride around the world, so I encourage you to go to Outright's website, outrightinternational.org, to uh, see the status of pride around the world. Listen live or on demand from wherever you are in the world. Stream us live on joy.org.au or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform to World Wide Wave. This is Georgi Tabagari from Tbilisi Pride on World Wide Wave, Joy 94.9. Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like World Wide Wave on Facebook now. A big thank you to all of our guests tonight. Noel Campbell from Equality for All Foundation Jamaica, Umit Roger Yildrum, a lawyer and activist from Turkey, and Nadine Smith, Executive Director of Equality Florida. Uh, you can find out more about that report at outrightinternational.org. And we have to thank everybody who sent us Facebook messages. There was Francis, Liz, Richard, Phoebe, and a whole heap more. And uh, that's W3JOY Joy on Facebook. And we send you all sorts of news stories from around the world throughout the week. So just follow us for all those. Behind the scenes, we have a sensational team, our podcaster Peter and our social media master Dean. Catch you next week on World Wide Wave.
Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash Worldwide Wave, or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.